0: Well, as has just been said, I cannot uh, improve upon the speeches we just heard. I, I think I could just pack up and go home right now. I'd be happy. But uh, I'm going to be speaking tonight uh, from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And seniors, you may remember a, few, a number of weeks ago, Mrs. Tally Ettinger was talking to you guys about your, your wonderful gowns. And she gave you a piece of instruction that was important. I think you all followed this. She said, don't you dare. If you see the wrinkles, don't use what? An iron, because the polyester apparently melts if you put this thing under an iron. So you guys, look looks like y'all obeyed, y'all, y'all got everything, it's looking good, and the reason I want to mention this is because in order for us to know uh, what we should wear in a particular situation, we have to know where we're going, we have to know what the expectations are. My guess is we have all been somewhere, we, we've dressed inappropriately to an occasion, and we think, wow, I feel a little out of place, a little awkward, I wish I would have been prepared for what was coming, and I uh, just... At our church, we had one of our members uh, who was in the Army Reserves was actually called overseas for a year uh, in the Army. And you better believe, along with what this passage is going to say, that what he was wearing and what he had with him when he went was very important to him. He had to have his armor. He had to have all that he needed in order to prepare for what was coming. So I want to begin here with a passage, and uh, I think it's a passage that's often taught to children, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it is not a childish passage. This is a very important and significant passage called the armor of God, and uh, I'm titled this brief message, How to Stand Strong, and I've got three points. I'm just going to walk through in order of the passage. Uh, Number one, the battle is real, number two, the armor is necessary, and number three, the Lord alone can strengthen and embolden us. So point number one, the battle is real. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter six. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, one of the things that Westminster wants to do, and I believe I was equipped in these ways, and I hope that you guys as well were equipped in this way was that we would be prepared for what is coming after graduation and This is not some sort of doom and gloom thing, but it is true that there is a real battle spiritually going on in the world every day and I have seen in so many of you the growth as I've had the privilege of teaching you 10th grade and 12th grade uh, Bible and getting to know you over the years. I have seen such growth in your desire to be discerning about what the Bible says and how to apply it to specific instances in real everyday life. And we must understand that behind this battle is the devil, uh, the spiritual forces of evil behind these things and we must be able to stand firm with the onslaught that will come all of our ways. When you step onto a college campus, there will be a lot of different views that are expressed. There will be a lot of different religions and viewpoints and perspectives and ideologies. You will hear secular humanism. You will hear, John, nihilism, remember? And uh, John liked to always refer to nihilism in the ca- whenever we had a debate. He was not himself a nihilist, but uh, he would often take that position in a debate. You will hear all kinds of different positions in in, in uh, different settings at, at, in Classes and we need to be ready to be able to to discern and know what is right and what is wrong and where we can stand firmly in the midst of the battle. So I want to spend most of my time on this second point here. This is the armor is necessary. Let me read these familiar verses from Ephesians six. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god now i want to walk through these familiar uh, pieces of armor and equipment here so that we can be all prepared as we face uh, various issues in this world. Number one is the, uh, the belt of truth. Now, I, I know you've heard me talk about these kinds of things, but I just want to say this so loud and clear for myself and to you. I want you guys to be an unusual college freshman who, when he or she shows up on campus, is joyfully, cheerfully, unembarrassed by the Bible. I want you to be unembarrassed cheerfully about the Bible because Jesus himself was unembarrassed by Scripture. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, Scripture cannot be broken. And just in case we're wondering, did Jesus really believe all those strange parts of the Old Testament? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 12. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus looks back at a story like Jonah, and Jesus says, not only do I affirm that that's a real historical event, but my death and resurrection is going to be just as real as Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus says, just as real as Noah and the flood were, so real will be my second coming one day. Jesus is unembarrassed cheerfully about what Scripture teaches. One pastor I really like is Kevin DeYoung, and he has this quote that I want to read for you. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus reference Abel, as in Cain and Abel, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, Isaac and Jacob, Manna in the wilderness, the serpent in the wilderness, Moses the lawgiver, David and Solomon, the queen of Sheba, Elijah and Elisha, the widow of Zarephath, Naaman, Zechariah, and even Jonah, Never questioning a single event, a single miracle, or a single historical claim. Jesus clearly believed in the historicity of biblical history. So as this school, we want you to become more like Christ. I want to become more like Christ. One of the ways, a crucial way, we can be more like Jesus is by being joyfully and cheerfully unembarrassed by what Scripture teaches in a world where that may not win us uh, bonus points. Let me move next to the breastplate of righteousness. We need to all form holy habits early and often in life. Not holier-than-thou habits, not self-righteous habits, but genuinely holy habits early and often. Listen, here's an area where I failed in college. My last three years of college, one of my great regrets is that I was not, my life was not deeply folded in and committed to a local church. I was just a Christian sort of drifting, doing my thing for several years, and I look back with grief over that, I regret that. But it is so easy and tempting to just sleep in on Sunday morning and not get up and go. And I would just challenge you, don't just attend church. Fold your life into a body of local believers who can love you and encourage you and exhort you, and at times confront and lovingly encourage you to trust more fully in Christ. On your campus, find friends who love Jesus truly not just some sort of religious group, but people who truly know the Lord, love the Lord, and are going to point you in, who you can point in the right direction. Soak in God's word, delight in it throughout your time in college. Number three, Paul mentions the shoes of the gospel, and I just think the gospel has got to be central. We've got to make the gospel central in our lives. When I sin and fail, I've got to race to the cross, and so I would be amiss if I did not take a moment here to just explain as clearly as I know how what the gospel is. This is what Westminster is founded upon, and this is what our lives must be built upon. The gospel is this. In order to understand good news, which is what gospel means, we have to first understand bad news. I had a college roommate who just messaged me a few weeks ago. This was shocking to me. He was only in his mid-30s, and he he said, "Uh, Mark, please pray for me. Uh, I've had some medical issues. They ran a test. They think it is possible I have pancreatic cancer. We're not sure. Please pray for me. A few weeks later, he says more tests have been done. He said, praise God, I have good news. We don't know for sure what the cause is, but it is not cancerous. Now, the reason why there was such good news is because why? There was such bad news preceding it. It's the bad news that sweetens the goodness of the good news. And here, here is the bad and good news of the gospel. A good, holy, and just God created all of us in his image and likeness, giving us dignity, value, and worth, both men and women made in God's image. And yet, all of us, myself absolutely included at the top of the list, all of us have taken God's good created gifts, his good creation, and in different ways, we have all, without exception, worshiped and served the created things over the creator, and that is what the Bible calls idolatry and sin. We have found money or reputation, or human approval, or career, or whatever it may be, more significant than God, and we have worshiped those things. And God is a just God, and he must punish evil. And God owes us punishment for the sins that I have committed, that you have committed. That's the bad news. Here is the astonishing good news. God loves sinners. God loves sinners. When Jesus was on earth, the sinners and tax collectors were gravitating towards Jesus. God loves sinners, and he demonstrated his love for sinners by sending his son Jesus into this world to live a perfect and sinless life. Jesus obeyed God's laws perfectly and at all times, and yet he died the death of a criminal. He hung suspended on a cross with nails through his wrists and feet, And as we just heard a moment ago, God the Father turned his face away. Jesus was abandoned and forsaken on the cross, not for sins he had committed, but for the sins you and I have committed. And if we will simply turn from sin and trust in Christ, God will forgive us of all our sins, and he will clothe us in the perfect righteousness, the sinless obedience of Jesus, and we can stand holy and without blemish before him. Seniors, this is rightly called good news. And we must every day race to the cross. We must remind ourselves of the gospel every day. When we fail, when we stumble, we must get back up and remind ourselves of what God has done for us in Christ. As we've sometimes talked about, if Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is infinitely important. And if Jesus never rose from the dead, Christianity is not true and is of no importance. The one thing Christianity cannot be is sort of important moderately important. And so my challenge to you is to say, make a true decision about Christ, settle it totally, and then stake everything on Jesus himself. Next we have uh, in the order here, the helmet of salvation. This means we find our security in the salvation Jesus gives to us. We don't find security in our circumstances that go up and down. We don't find our security in ever-changing things in our lives. We find our security in the rock who is Christ Jesus, the Lord. Jesus is the one treasure who, if you fail him, will forgive you, and if you have him, will satisfy and never fail you. Next is the shield of faith. I'm going to link this with the sword of the Spirit. The shield of faith to to extinguish the fiery darts of the devil and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. These two go together. When Satan sends temptations and accusations our way, we can believe him and fall into error, or we can hold up the shield of faith, which trusts God and his promises. And Satan's fiery darts are extinguished. They have nowhere to go when we trust in what Christ has said, in what God has promised us. In Genesis 3... Satan's first statement in the whole Bible is, did God really say? Satan wants us to doubt the truthfulness of God's word, and yet it is faith in God's word that is the very thing that holds up the shield of faith, that allows us to cancel out the lies of Satan. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I'm going to move into the third and final point of the message. The Lord alone can strengthen and embolden us. Let me read the last few verses here. Verse 10 and verses 18 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Obviously, we never encourage arrogance, but I would encourage a humble boldness. When you're in a philosophy class, don't be afraid to raise your hand early in the semester and say, Well, as a Christian, I believe blank. Don't be afraid to raise your flag early and often and just say, I'm a believer in Jesus. He's changed my life. I love him and I would love to speak to you about what he has done. Be courageous with the unbelievers that you will be able to be around and to influence. In Acts chapter 4, it says this And when they had prayed, this is the local church, when they had prayed, The place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I would challenge you and myself to be bold and humble and joyful in the way that we stand up for Christ in a perhaps a very secular environment and secular world. Let us love with the truth and love with our actions and our deeds. As Paul says, having done all, the goal is to stand. At the end of the battle... Success is not the career or the job that you may be looking for. That may be a wonderful blessing from the Lord, but that is not ultimate success. Ultimate success is not your, old, your grade point average or your popularity on campus. It's not how, many, how, you know, how you do athletically. Those things all matter to the Lord. But those are not ultimately determiners of success, as you know. Ultimate success is this, at the end of the day, when all the smoke has cleared and the dust has settled, will you still be standing firm in your faith in the Lord, armored with his armor and standing committed to the Lord Jesus because he has been so committed to his people? I would like to ask right now all the graduates to come forward here and their parents as well. We're gonna have a brief time of prayer. So if all the seniors, of you would all come up here and just kind of spread out in front of the stage, and parents, can you come find your senior and you guys can all stand together? And in just a moment, uh, I will pray for us. Would all of you please bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for these seniors. Lord, I really do love these students. Thank you for the blessing I've had to get to know them over these years. Lord, thank you for the ways they've challenged me. Thank you for the many gifts we just heard about from the other speeches, the many gifts you have given to each of these students. Lord, thank you for their parents and their faithfulness to send them to this school. Lord, thank you for all that you have done and for all that you will do through them. Lord, I pray that as they step out a little bit more independently in a very short time, that they would ground themselves more than ever and they would own their faith for themselves, that having done all, they would stand in the gospel, that they would stand in the truth of scripture. That they would be joyfully and cheerfully unembarrassed by your word. That they would hold forth the word of light in a very dark world. That there would not be a hint of judgmentalness or self-righteousness, but that there would be nothing but true joy and love that would come from their understanding of scripture. I pray that Jesus would truly be who they are like. And Lord, for moments when it is hard, for moments when the seniors are discouraged, for moments when they feel perhaps alone or when things are far more difficult than they thought they might be. Lord, we know that you are the comforter of your people, that you are close to those who are crushed in spirit and those who are grieving, Lord. You draw near, you love to not break a bruised reed or quench a faintly burning flax. And so Lord, I pray that when the students feel that way, that they would turn to you and that you would embrace them, that your spirit would be poured out upon them and that they would experience the true joy, the nearness and the comfort that only you can provide. God, thank you for how kind and generous you have been to these students over the years. Thank you for your sustaining grace in their lives. I pray five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, we would see great fruit that has happened for your kingdom and glory that has happened through their lives. God, I pray for future spouses that they may come across, that you would allow them to marry godly men and women, for future children they may have, God, that they would be raised in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. God, I pray we would look back in the future and see great things that you have done for the kingdom and for your glory through these graduates that are before us right now. Lord, thank you for your great grace. Continue to sustain us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated.